This is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. With the SEC's recent creation of a Climate and ESG Task Force, you may be hearing the acronym even more than usual. But what exactly is ESG, and why should you care? As you'll learn in this episode, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance, and it's a concept that's only increasing in its importance to customers, investors, and employers. In this episode, I spoke with Leah Ruth Jamillo, head of the ESG advisory practice at Corbin Advisors, about everything from the election to net zero to greenwashing. Here's the conversation. Leah Ruth, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Olivia. I'm really pleased to be here. For those who don't know, tell us about ESG. What does it stand for? Break that down for us. And how might it apply to the different listeners? Sure, sure. And this is a really exciting time to be talking about this topic. It is so relevant and it has just exploded in importance over the last couple of years in particular. So when we when we talk about ESG, this particular acronym, environmental, social and governance. And essentially the way to think about it is that at its at its core, it is the incorporation of socially responsible business practices into everyday business operations. Okay, so what does that mean? Traditionally, we talk about a company's bottom line or profits. When we think about ESG, we're actually referring to what's called the triple bottom line. So rather than just profits, we're thinking about people, planet, and profits. This idea that a company does not just exist to create financial value, but that there are other contributions to consider. So when we think about the people component, how do you treat your employees? What are your employee benefit packages? How engaged are your employees? How are you engaging in the communities where your company exists? The planet component, the environmental component, what is your physical footprint where your headquarters are? What is your environmental uh, footprint? What are your greenhouse gas emissions, water usage, et cetera? And then of course, traditionally, profits, the financial health, uh, and what is shareholder value. Um, One thing I did want to share with you, because I read a really interesting book recently called Accountable, the, The Rise of Citizen Capitalism, which was written by two investors. And I actually thought they did a really great job of talking about what ESG means. And this is what it says. Too often, profit is confused with value, but they are not the same thing. Profit is what happens today Value is the long-term prosperity driven by strong customer, employee, and supplier relationships, positive community involvement, sustainable production, and cooperation with government in problem solving, end quote. So I really liked that because in my mind, ESG is just, it's a holistic view of a corporation. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe give some examples of, I think it's easy for us to understand the metrics associated with the bottom line and the financial metrics. What are some examples of environmental metrics and some examples of social metrics? That question is being asked by companies everywhere. And we're still in the process as a society figuring out what are the best metrics to use. What I'm really excited to see is that more and more companies are starting to put together meaningful metrics and investors are demanding metrics from companies where they're investing in. So some examples, environmental, let's start there. Greenhouse gas emissions, 
How much are you emitting? Your waste management, how much waste are you producing? Uh, do you recycle? Deforestation, are you having an impact on the forests around the world? Your, your materials sourcing, where are you getting your materials from? Uh, and we hear a lot these days about net zero. Uh, every day I have a Google alert and almost every day I'm getting a new alert in my inbox about companies that are committing to net zero. And this idea that we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by enough. And essentially, most companies are targeting 2050. Uh, and the U.S. actually just signed on board with that, too. On the social side, and it's really interesting, the social component of ESG has been in the spotlight for a number of reasons over the last year in particular. One is as a result of the pandemic and the social and racial unrest that we've experienced in this country. And so the social component was sort of the laggard behind E and G, but now actually is in the spotlight. So when we talk about the social component, we're talking about, we hear a lot about DNI, diversity and inclusion. We are talking about health and safety information, particularly important during COVID. What were the benefits that you offered to your employees, additional benefits that were related to COVID? What were, what were the, for those that were essential workers, what were the PPE that was available? How did you make that available? How quickly? And then there were a lot of companies that gave additional mental health benefits to their employees during COVID. So that falls into health and safety. And then training and development is another component of, of the S. How are you investing in your people? What do your training programs look like? How many people are rising in the ranks? What do promotions look like? And a really important one, pay equity data, not just gender pay equity, but racial and ethnic pay equity. So what does your management team look like? What are, who are the types of people that are rising in the ranks to management? One company that I uh, like to refer to when I'm talking about the social component of ESG, Intel, because um, they put out a pretty robust diversity report. I was particularly impressed because in 2019, their report had some pretty unflattering things to say. So in particular, the report highlighted that there was a decline in some areas, specifically fewer women and minorities were at the company's most senior levels. Thus, women and minorities were some of the people that were not getting as highly compensated as other groups. And that sort of information we are seeing rising in, to the top in terms of what investors want to see and the metrics that companies need to disclose. Why is it important for those listening to really have a good grasp of this subject, particularly if they're maybe not in the financial reporting team of their company? Why is it important for the kind of average employee like me to understand this area? Sure. Great question. And I'm going to give you three answers. First, I call it a trifecta. We have a trifecta at the moment. We have Customers, consumers, number one, talent pipeline, which is your current and prospective employees and investors. Those are three key stakeholders who today are all on board for seeing movement and progression in ESG. So the reason why that's so important is, one, your customers, regardless of what industry you're in, and I've got some data around this, there's a plethora of data these days around 
customers' consumption habits. So for example, 62% of millennials preferred sustainable brands versus 39% of baby boomers. 87% of U.S. customers would purchase from a company because they advocate for an issue of shared concern. So the consumer feels that something they care about, the company cares about. And more than three out of four consumers, about 76%, would boycott a company they found to support an issue at odds with their own values. This is only increasing over time. So that's your customer base, consumer base. Second, your talent pipeline, current and prospective employees, particularly when we're looking at millennials and Gen Z. 40% of millennials said that they have taken a job or would take a job because of a company's sustainability performance, while only 17% of baby boomers said the same. So there's a real shift in terms of where do millennials and Gen Z want to go work? And then the third bucket is your investor bucket. And they were the last to come to the table around ESG. The consumers and the talent pipeline were on board a little bit earlier. We were seeing those trends. The investors got on board over the last five years. And that that completely changed the game for ESG once the investors got on board. And the investors were on board for a number of reasons. One of the big ones is there's about to be a $30 trillion wealth transfer from the baby boomer generations going into millennial and Gen Z hands. So when millennials and Gen Z are thinking about investing that money, they're going to want to do it with a sustainable lens. So the one so that's one answer in terms of why it matters now, you've got those three buckets on board. The second answer is, and this relates to what you brought up in, in the question, the pandemic and the social unrest that we're experiencing now and have been over the last year and a half. This has been seen as a real inflection point for ESG. The pandemic and the social and racial unrest didn't create things, but it uncovered inequities within our society that have existed for a long time. They were just brought to the surface by the pandemic and the racial and social unrest. And I think what's particularly important is that the social component of ESG is getting its time in the spotlight, which something Pre, you know, previously it was seen as sort of a fluffy topic to talk about. And now there are hard and fast conversations being had around the social component. The third part is there's a real sense of urgency. We are in the midst of an environmental crisis, and I cannot stress that enough. Um, we've got an environmental crisis, a biodiversity crisis. Biodiversity just refers to the variety of living things on Earth. Scientists today are saying that emissions need to drop by 50 percent by 2030, and we need to reach net zero by 2050 to avoid the most catastrophic impacts of climate change. So there is no time to wait on this. There's a real sense of urgency in terms of making progress on the environmental component. You mentioned that a lot of us put more of an emphasis maybe on the E in the ESG, right? Until, I guess, pretty fairly recently, in terms of trends, what are some of the trends that you would expect to see in this area outside of maybe a greater emphasis on, you know, the S in ESG? So when I think about best in class companies, companies that have been doing this really well for a long time and that are perhaps the the, the leaders in terms of both their ESG efforts, but also their disclosure. There's a couple of things. And I think this is where we'll see the trends. These are companies that have a chief sustainability officer and you want this person reporting to your CEO. 
Uh, number two, these are companies where they've elevated ESG to the board level. So they typically have a specific board committee with an explicit mandate to advise leadership and hold leadership accountable for the company's sustainability efforts. Third, they're tying executive compensation to sustainability progress. This is something even newer than the other ones. This is something that we're seeing. And actually, Corbin just put out um, some research a couple of weeks ago about this. But we are now seeing companies actually tie executive compensation to ESG metrics and progress to goal. That's so important, right? If you're going to hold, if you're going to say these are our goals, there's no better way to show that you are serious about them than saying we're going to hold our senior management's pay, we're going to align it with those goals. Also, I, I expect to see a lot more data-driven disclosure. Olivia, you've probably seen sustainability reports that can be upwards of 150 pages, and they're super glossy and colorful, and there's lots of children and babies <laughs> and, and nice-looking animals. While the sustainability report it is serving a number of purposes and there are a variety of different audiences that it needs to relate to. Ultimately, it's really important that you are telling the story of the company's ESG journey and that you're doing it with data-driven uh, information. And so I am very much expecting to see a trend toward more data and metrics-driven goals and storytelling about ESG. I think we're going to start seeing companies they may have the traditional sustainability report, but I think we're also going to see companies starting to produce an ESG dedicated presentation that's just for investors. So much more metrics and data driven uh, in that approach. And we're going to see companies more proactively engaging with their investors on ESG and reaching out and saying, do you like our disclosure? Does it make, did it make sense to you? How can we improve it in the future? Um, do our, you know, do our goals resonate with you? Is this what you want to see? Is this progress? Why are those sustainability reports so long and flowery? Like what, what do you think is the reason for that? Yeah. So I think when they first when companies first started reporting these and now upwards of like 90% of all companies are putting out sustainability reports. And you look back, I think in 2011, it was something like 20%. So almost all companies now are putting out some sort of report. I do think that early on, we were seeing a lot of greenwashing. And just for folks who don't know, greenwashing just refers to this idea. I, I think of it like the Wizard of Oz effect. On the outside, it looks really beautiful and ha has a really grand presence. You pull back the curtain and there's not a lot of substance there. So greenwashing is when your ESG efforts are more of a marketing or PR exercise than they are an actual incorporation of ESG into a company's DNA. So I think initially they were a PR exercise. I really do. I think it was a way for companies to talk about ESG and use flat, more flowery language, qualitative language. And I think companies, you know, that's when companies were saying, well, our ESG efforts are we print on two sides of a piece of paper. That's what we're doing. And also, I should say the purpose of a sustainability report, it's not just for the investors. So when I'm saying data driven, metrics driven, the sustainability report does also serve a purpose for your other two stakeholders. I mentioned earlier, the customer base and the talent pipeline, right? So we know that millennials want to work at a company with good sustainability practices. We know that your internal employee base wants to know your sustainability story and that your consumers and customers want to know your sustainability story. So the sustainability report 
has a place to tell the story to those audiences as well. And so some of that qualitative, more narrative storytelling is important. But again, I think it was used as a marketing PR exercise. We are seeing them become more metrics driven and less flowery over time, which I think is a real win. We are also starting to see something called integrated reporting. And actually BMW just produced one two weeks ago. This is the idea that you are taking your financial reporting and your ESG reporting, combining them so that you're telling a holistic story. You're able to tell the story using data and metrics. And you think that's something that we're going to see more of? I absolutely do. I I do expect that within the next year or two, I think that we're going to have a global standard. So people often refer to the various standards and frameworks that companies use to align themselves to certain metrics as an alphabet suit because there's SASB and CDP and GRI and people, what are all these acronyms, right? The good news is that the five leading frameworks and standard setters toward the end of last year came together and said, we are committed to working together to try to find a way for one global standard. This is happening. They're making movement on it. I do think that we're going to see that in the next year or two. And I think that's very good news for companies and investors alike. Yeah, absolutely. Clear up some of that confusion. Absolutely. For organizations who don't have a chief sustainability officer or a chief people officer, who is responsible for gathering the data and reporting that those metrics right now? Yeah, it, it really runs the gamut. Um, sometimes you have someone in HR who's responsible. Sometimes it's the investor relations officer. Sometimes there's an ESG or CSR, which is corporate social responsibility group within the company, which is often one, oftentimes one person and they're responsible. It really runs the gamut. And that's part of the problem is that companies are still struggling to today to figure out Where should ESG sit within the corporation? Who should be held accountable to it? And so for companies that are just starting out, I think one of the most important things to do is to really do almost like a self-assessment audit, like an ESG audit, and figure out who is the person that has the bandwidth to be able to take this on. Why is the SEC's creation of a climate and ESG task force so significant? That's a pretty recent development. Yeah, they, they announced it in early March. We're not surprised to see this, quite honestly, because we knew during you know Joe Biden's campaign, he talked a lot about an emphasis on on climate change. And uh, with literally within hours of President Joe Biden's inauguration, he recommitted the U.S. to the Paris Agreement. And so we're, we're not surprised that the SEC did this. We have seen a huge emphasis from the Biden administration to a commitment to um, having an impact on climate change and specifically around greenhouse gas reductions. Uh, What is significant for companies is that this task force by the SEC is going to specifically be looking at company disclosure and looking for material gaps or misstatements in company disclosure of climate risks and, and environmental disclosure. So while companies have been careful all along in terms of the way that they disclose and what they disclose, companies are going to be needed to be even more vigilant going forward uh, to make sure that what they're disclosing is accurate and meaningful and metrics driven. So we are seeing a real shift in Washington to a commitment 
to deal with the environmental crisis that we're dealing with now. So that's also a trend that we're going to see is, and I think we're going to see even more rules and regulations around this in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are an employee, are there any steps that can be taken to encourage leaders at the company to pay closer attention to this, to pull back the curtain on it? Like what can, what can individuals do to really shine a light on this if they're not seeing it already? Because so many companies are doing a lot around ESG and a lot of them are making very significant progress on it, mm-hmm. one of the best ways to sort of call leadership to the table and, and get them to talk about it is to do an analysis of what are your peers doing? What are your competitors doing? Le- what does leadership respond to is, oh, well, how are we competing in the marketplace? What if I benchmark myself to my peers or or whether they're aspirational peers or actual peers? Um, so one of the best things an individual do, and this is all public information, you can literally go on Google and type in the name of a company and then sustainability report, boom, it'll pop up. And take a look at what companies in your industry are doing currently. Um, I would I would be shocked if anyone told me they couldn't find peer companies that had an ESG or sustainability section of the website, sustainability report, mention of sustainability in the company's annual report. So one of the best ways would be to say to management, I did a little bit of research on my own. I found that, hey, our our top five competitors all have a pretty robust ESG program, disclosure story. I really think we need to look at what we're doing in comparison to this because it is a competitive advantage for sure. And that's how you get the eye of management, right? That's how you get the CFO and the CEO to care is by saying, let's talk about how this can be a competitive advantage for us. Um, Additionally, there's more and more conversation these days around ESG being important to a company's valuation and Mm. increasing a company's um, or or contributing to value creation for the company. That gets the CEO and CFO's ear if you're able to tie it to long-term value creation for the company itself. Mm -hmm. Hey, well, it goes back to that quote that you gave earlier. It was, I think it was profit is today, value is... Correct. Profit is what happens today. Value is the long-term prosperity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all kind of comes full circle. Leah Ruth, while I have you, I'm just curious to know like how you got into this space. My favorite question, because this is my dream job. Early on uh, in college, I remember I took a, some, some political science course that talked about corporate social responsibility or introduced me to the idea of corporate social responsibility, CSR, another acronym. And I became very personally interested. So what I started doing was reading books by founder CEOs who personally were very committed to CSR. So Tony Shea from Zappos, Yvonne Chonard from Patagonia, Craig Jelenic from Costco. And honestly, I always saw it as just a personal passion. I did not necessarily think it could be a career path. I ended up sort of falling into corporate governance consulting, um, which is very interesting because this is where ESG lives. And it was about... 2015, 2016, I was managing shareholder engagement campaigns. So I was the liaison. We were, we were a consulting company. I was the liaison between our corporate clients and their investors when they would get on calls in advance of a company's annual meeting. And they were talking about executive compensation and shareholder proposals and director issues, et cetera. When all of a sudden, ESG started popping up into those conversations and investors started asking about environmental practices and the social component and governance practices. And that's when I started thinking, 
oh, with the investors getting on board, this could be a career path. And then honestly, I just decided to make it one. I actually went through a very methodical informational interview process um, over a period of many months where I reached out to everyone and anyone in my network that worked in ESG or CSR or tangentially related to these fields. And I said, I'm Leah Ruth. This is my background. I want to work in this space. Do you know someone who can speak with me? And while I was having those interviews, I was building up my own knowledge base. I was teaching myself about the various standard and framework. And then I happened to connect with someone who I knew when I was living in New York and who currently is at Corbin Advisors. And they said, hey, I saw that you're looking and we are starting an ESG consulting practice. Are you interested in coming to be the head of it? And I was very interested. It was exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I early on in my career, I thought I was going to go into politics. I had always said that I wanted to do something where I could have a positive impact on the world. And when I was young, it was sort of that vague. And then as I got older, it started coming together a bit more. And in my mind, that is what ESG really is. We are we are helping companies. And when I say we, I mean anyone that's involved with some component of ESG. You are helping companies figure out how to be better corporate citizens, how to be, how, how they can make sure that their employees are engaged and you have happy workers and people feel like they, they have a purpose when they come to work. You're helping companies figure out how to be a better environmental partner so that we can really curb this, this environmental crisis that we're in the midst of. And you're helping companies figure out on the governance side, how can they govern in a more productive and effective manner? And so I'm so excited to be doing this work. It's a, a really exciting time to be doing this work. And it's, it's exciting to see companies taking it seriously. The last thing I would say is uh, we talk to a lot of companies who often feel like they're the only ones who are, they feel like they're lagging in their ESG efforts and disclosure. And I, I am very quick to tell them you are not alone. Most companies are early in their journey trying to figure out what this means. And I think what's really important for companies to remember is investors are looking for progress, not perfection. Mm. So do an ESG audit today, figure out what you're currently doing around environmental, social, and governance that you're just not framing as ESG. Start to tell your story, flesh out a statement of purpose for the company. Why do we exist? Little by little, the pieces will come together it doesn't have to feel overwhelming. There are small steps that companies can take today to really be on the road toward having an impactful ESG journey. I love your passion for the space. It's infectious. And I really thank you for sharing your knowledge with us, your deep knowledge. Thank you so much, Olivia. 